me, creativity was the only way to survive because if I didn't have creativity, I mean, I would not have survived. It was where I could be the most authentic because in real life, outside of art, I could not be. You're listening to Wild Creative, a podcast designed to inspire creative thought, enhance your artistic process, and excavate enriched understandings about art, culture, and yourself. I'm your host, Emma Kivetna, a creativity coach, artist, entrepreneur, and Sagittarius. I am joining you today from the traditional territories of the Mi'kmaq people in Nova Scotia, Canada. Without further ado, let's explore the wild creative. Hello, thank you for tuning in today to Wild Creative. I'm really thrilled to share with you today the first guest appearance on this podcast by Jade Francesca. So to give you a little background on Jade, Jade Francesca is the founder of Strategize with Creativity and is an aligned marketing strategist and designer. She helps heart-centered and passion-driven entrepreneurs and authors go from discouraged to happy with their marketing so that they can connect with their ideal audience as their authentic self. Jade is also a neurodivergent mentor and advocate and is passionate about wellness, mindset, and self-development. She has been a creative writer for several years and has considered herself an artist from a very young age. From paintings to books to now marketing strategy and design, Jade utilizes her unique creativity to shine her light into the world. Jade is a really interesting person and a really good conversationalist, so there's a lot of juicy stuff in this episode for you. We talked about finding solace in art while growing up with autism and ADHD, among other things. We talked about Jade's creative writing projects and what she's currently working on. We, of course, talked about neurodivergence and her business as a digital marketer for authors and entrepreneurs, and we even talked about Harry Potter. Jade joined me today on Zoom from her home in Montreal. All right, hello Jade, thank you so much for joining us on Wild Creative today. Thank you for having me, I'm really excited about this. Oh good, I'm so glad. I know that when we talked two days ago, we pretty much took up almost a full half hour and I so I have a feeling we're gonna have a lot to say today so I'm just gonna like jump into things and I do want to start off by saying that I, I really love the name of your business strategize with creativity to me that seems like you're you're kind of you're all about harnessing the power of each person's unique creative footprint so that they can apply it um, to their marketing with as an author and entrepreneur So can you tell us a bit more about how you transitioned into that line of work? Because I know you mentioned to me actually that you were, you went to school for psychology originally. Yes. So I, I honestly never thought that I would end up here. What's ironic is that my ex used to, I mean, he graduated with a degree in business and he did a lot, a lot of marketing and I would hear him talk about it. And I, the way that he was being taught, I found it was like super weird. And I was like, I could never do this. But as I, you know, stepped away from psychology because the environment was very, very toxic Um, I don't know if it was just because of the school I was in or if it was just kind of the way that it was when you get to a doctorate level, because I've known a lot of people doing PhDs in 
other departments um, in other schools as well who had the same kind of issue. It's very like a, it's very high school vibe, like cliques every everywhere, and just there's a lot of toxic energy. And for a psychology department, you would assume they would be accepting of mental illness, of depression, anxiety, and all of the things that a lot of students struggle with, but they didn't, they don't keep information uh, confidential. There was a lot of drama. There was a teacher that would bully, scream at students, um, like literally full-blown scream that we were idiots, that we were terrible people, and that we would never succeed. And it was very, very abusive. And when you tried to speak up to him anonymously, it would not be anonymous. He would find out who you are and he would make you fail. So this was the kind of environment. And I was like, I'm leaving this place because this is not where I want to be. Like I left high school years ago. I do not want to go back to this kind of environment. So I left. At first it was supposed to be a break, but then it became an indefinite break. And I literally don't even want to speak to the school. So they're like, I don't even know if I'm still enrolled, (laughs) nor do I want to. I'm just like kind of stepping away. And I started all of this because, I mean, I needed to find a job. And I was like, damn, all I did in my life was psychology. What am I going to do with my life? Because I'm not finishing my doctorate. And if you don't have a doctorate here, you can't really practice. You can't really do anything because of the new laws. Like you do need a doctorate to practice psychology. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I try to do a lot of other jobs, but at the end of the day, working for myself and working online was what was best. And I stepped into this by starting on as a VA, which is what a lot of people do when they end up in the online industry. And no one really wanted me to do administrative tasks. Um, I don't think I really ever did one. (laughs) It was all about um, marketing, you know, like marketing on social media, doing graphic designs, publicity, podcast recordings, editing, copy, writing copy from scratch. There was web design as well. It was just as a VA, I was asked to essentially have the skills of a marketing team. And at first I was just very excited because I have ADHD. And when I see a challenge, my brain is just like, Ooh, perfect. Love that. Shiny. I will do everything. And so took a bunch of classes, got certified in some things. And I was just kind of fascinated by everything. And that's how I got like most of my skills in a very limited amount of time. But what I also noticed was that marketing was done in a very strange way to me, because a lot of the people, the women I worked with, because I mostly worked with women entrepreneurs, They were very aligned with their business. They worked within the wellness industry. They were very soul aligned people. But when it came to their marketing, there was a disconnect. And when I started doing my own marketing for my business, I also noticed I was doing the same thing. There was a disconnect in my own marketing because I was doing what everyone else, you know, taught me to do because all of those classes I took, those coaches I worked with, um, and some of them were amazing, amazing coaches, but At the end of the day, most of them were extroverts and I'm an introvert. And so their strategies did not apply. And it were really amazing strategies sometimes that I thought like, if I could do that, it would be so cool. But I don't have the bandwidth to talk to that many people in a day, which meant that I had to do a strategy that was completely different. And so that's what inspired me to really do things in a different way and to help other entrepreneurs and you know, authors just really find ways to do marketing in a way that feels good. Because right now, the way that marketing is kind of thought or is kind of done, it's very angled for extroverts, like much of society, honestly, it's like really benefiting extroverts and us introverts kind of like go into like, and force ourselves to fit in. But 
it's also the old way of doing marketing is very manipulative in a lot of ways. And it's something that myself and a lot of other entrepreneurs really don't like doing. I mean, there's terms that are so weird, like tripwire, for instance, that's something um, for those in the audience who, if you don't know what a tripwire is, a tripwire is when you go on a landing page, which is, it could be like a sales page or for a freebie or anything where you just end up on the page on a website. And then it tells you, you know, to either buy something or to sign up for a freebie, you sign up, you've done all of your things. And then suddenly afterwards, they ask you if you want to buy something. So like an upsell, so you buy something more, or if it was a freebie, then you're buying something like a low a low cost type of thing, something like $27 or whatever. And this can be done in a very ethical way. If you're just kind of like showing people some something else that you do, and you're just like, you're letting them, you know, click on a button saying like, oh yeah, no, thank you. I don't want this. And like, that's fine. But a lot of people, they will have little buttons that says like, no, like if you want to just continue on with the thing you paid or the thing you signed up for, for free, you need to click on a button that says, no, I don't want to succeed. No, I don't want to be happy. No, I don't want to be confident or whatever the subject of the thing they're selling is. And so that's called like a really tripwire to make you trip. I'm like, this is so predatory. The language it, it is. is very yeah. strange. And it was like, even things like lead magnet, it's like, why are humans just kind of reduced to a lead and why are we calling something that we're supposed to be giving for free, something that we're giving to serve and to provide value? We're calling it a magnet. It's just so weird to me. The language itself was always weird. I like the first time I heard the term lead magnet, I was like, what the hell does that mean? I know what it's like, I'm going to lead you into my trap or yeah, something it's like <laughs> so strange. And I was like, you know what? Marketing really doesn't have to be that way. And it's not working so well anymore. People use a lot of weird tactics like fear of missing out or scarcity um, fake scarcity, most especially just saying that you only have 24 hours to buy something, but it's a product that actually is always going to be up. And if you sign up with a new email in like two days, you're going to still have the, the 24 hours. So they're just putting kind of weird tactics to kind of make you buy out of fear. And I'm all about buying out of excitement, out of inspiration, out of really wanting something or feeling like you really need something, but it's something that's just going to add value to your life. It's not something that you need to have value because that's one of the things in marketing that happens often in the copywriting. They will make you feel like you're not good enough. And if you don't get this offer, this program, this service, this whatever, they will make you feel like you will never succeed without them. And that's a very emotional manipulation type of marketing that I just really do not agree with because I fully believe that everyone has it in them to have a successful business. It's just about guiding them. For me, it's really about guiding them into finding out what's best for them in terms of marketing, because nowadays you can do so many different things in marketing. There's digital marketing open door, opens doors to so many different things that you can do. It's about finding what you, works best for you and what you like best. So for me, it's all about really guidance. And a lot of the marketing I do is actually asking my clients to do some journaling prompts and journaling about marketing, because that really helps opening doors for them and to really connect and go back to their why, to why they started doing this in the first place and sharing all of that information with people rather than weird tactics that don't really make sense. Yeah. I, I feel like it's like a relationship and it's between you and the 
people that you're trying to market to and they're, they're, there's many types of relationships abusive emotionally manipulative ones yep. it's kind of like that so you want a healthy relationship with your audience who you're talking exactly. to but like nobody teaches you how to do that because it's all about like sleazy you know yes. tactics and i totally know what you're saying about the tripwire i've been on many landing pages where it's like if you want to opt out of it the button says no i don't care about my health like that yeah. it's like yeah. oh i have to choose that to say no but then i feel bad about that because that's not a true statement yeah it's yeah. very it's very not, manipulative it's not good even if logically you're like I know that by clicking on a button that says, no, I don't care about my happiness, that doesn't mean it's true. But subconsciously and emotionally, when you hear that or you click on that over and over again, you start to register that message. And it's not the kind of message, it's not the kind of energy that we want to have in our marketing, especially because a lot of the people that I've worked with or people in my audience, it's people who are really there to serve. They're really there to help. And sometimes they get misguided by other like, so-called experts and I had a client who um, she was doing amazing amazing work about wellness for women and like she's a woman it's about women it's like it's super clear like even when she was talking to me she was like I know I don't want men in this space like it's all about women and she was doing very good like everything was getting booked out but then she reached out to a marketing director who was a man and the advice that he was like, you need to put scarcity, you need to do this, you need to do that, like emotional, emo emotional manipulation tactics. And he kind of managed to convince her to do this kind of thing, because this was things that she felt uncomfortable with. And so he kind of convinced her to do these type of things. And I was just sitting here like, no, I mean, this man might be very good for his company, but that's not at all the energy that my client had. It's not at all the energy that she wants to put out in the world. She wants to be there to serve. She wants to be there to help. She's one of, you know, the most amazing people I've met who is just so into helping other women and, you know, giving back to the community and building a safe community for women. Um, and it was just so heartbreaking for me to see this. Yeah, it like has not... to like match the vibe. <laughs> yes, I was like, this is not, this is not matching. And you yeah. know, like he had like a big, like kind of authority because I mean, he's a marketing director, he's very successful. And you know, I feel like a lot of, a lot of people that I've seen and all the people in my audience, they were kind of misguided by those people. And so was I, when I first started, I mean, I never really managed to kind of go through with like the trip wires or like the things that are more like unethical in my opinion. Like I never really managed to go through all of that, um, even though I was told to, but some of the things that I didn't really feel aligned with, I still did. And like doing like the whole lead magnet thing and, you know, like signing up and like you put your email and blah, blah, blah. And for me, I just kind of didn't like it because it was whenever, because I mean, I'm a strategist at the end of the day and I want to know like what I'm doing. Is it working? Is it not working? Um, do I like this? Do my audience like this? And it's like kind of a balance and I want to know these things. But when I was looking at, at my email marketing, it was very hard to know what I was doing right, what I was doing that needed to be improved because a lot of people, when they were signing up, they just wanted the, the freebie. They didn't want to necessarily subscribe to my emails or get like a bunch of emails um, because so many people are sending so many emails. I make sure not to spam, you know, my people, but you know, some people do. I mean, I, sometimes I receive like six emails from the same person in a day and I'm like, listen, like yeah, this is too much. <laughs> right. And so I get it. Like, I get it that like, they don't know me yet. Maybe they don't want to have my emails. Maybe they want to look at my freebie and they want to see like, okay, this is something I can align with. I want to sign up. And so 
I couldn't have good results and I didn't like I had very high open rates and I had good results when it came to like people clicking on my stuff but I had a lot of unsubscribes that I couldn't understand what was wrong with you know like the sequence and it took me some time to realize okay yeah it's just most people were unsubscribing the moment that it would get my freebie and I was like okay so I shouldn't do it this way then and so I completely changed the way that I would do this with my email marketing. And now if they want to get my freebie, they click on the button on my website and they get it right away. And inside my freebie at the end, like at the very, very, very end, there is like a button that says, Hey, if you're interested in getting, you know, like more information about this updates, you know, podcast episodes or like, you know, anything that's all about aligned marketing, here's to subscribe to the newsletter. So now I know when someone subscribes to my newsletter, they actually do want my emails because otherwise oh, they wouldn't love be signing up with it. Right. Yeah. And so things like that, that, I mean, I, I feel like for other people, um, it's working really well, the kind of like older method of doing this and like having the subscribe to get the freebie. But for me, it just wasn't working because I just couldn't know if like what people liked or what people didn't like. And it just kind of like now I know that if a person subscribes to my newsletter and then they unsubscribe later, like with an email, then I know I need to look at the email. I need to make sure that everything is good with it. Whereas before I was like, maybe they just don't want to hear about me. Maybe they didn't even open my freebie yet because they have like a ton of freebies to open. Maybe it's not even about me. Maybe it's not even about the email. So there was too many variables at play here. And I was like, no, I'm shifting the way that I'm doing things. And honestly, like I, I relate to like, because as a consumer, sometimes I don't necessarily want the emails of people already because I don't really know enough about them. And I want the freebie to get to know about them and then decide if I want to like be in their circle or if I don't want to be. So I was like, you know what? Like I get it. If they don't want to be on people's email list, because I mean, some people that I've signed up for, I thought that what they were doing was amazing, but then they would spam me. And you know, like every hour they would be like, Oh, only two hours left, only one hour left, only 30 minutes. Oh, I'm like, I hate that. And I'm like, I'm so I'm yeah. guilty of that too, though. Like I've also downloaded freebies and then I've unsubscribed like a few days later, mostly yeah. because they would email me every friggin' day yeah. with whatever. And I'm like, I don't even, yeah, I don't even know you yet. <laughs> like I just wanted to get this freebie and see kind of what it might do for me. And then, but yeah, so I like the way that you kind of go about it backwards. It makes so much more sense, like way more sense. So is that, would that be like one of your tips that you would give like our listeners today about digital marketing or is there like a different go-to top that tip would be definitely something I would I would give um, because when it comes to I know that some people when they're starting out their email list it can be a bit discouraging because you will get less signups obviously that's just like I don't get a lot like I don't get as much signups when I do it this way than the other way but at the end of the day do you really want someone in your audience that's just going to unsubscribe it's not going to give you the information that you want you're not going to be they're not really your ideal audience if it's someone who is downloading your freebie, never really looking at it, and then just unsubscribing. Um, it's not going to give you a good idea of what's going on because I really do look at, you know, like analytics and the way that my posts or my emails or anything I do in marketing is working or not, because that tells me, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to change your marketing, but it might mean you need to change your audience because that's not the right one. Because that's one of the things that in marketing, they were keeping they would keep teaching me about how I needed to change. I always needed to change. It's like, if something was not working, you need to change. You need to do more. You need to do this. You need to blah, blah, blah. But it never felt good to do that. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk to 25 new people every day. I don't want to show up on reels and, 
you know, do reels that I really don't feel aligned with me. I don't want to hop on trends that don't make sense for me or my business right now. I don't want to do any of these things, but that's all the advice that I was getting. And sometimes it's not even about changing yourself, changing your marketing or changing whatever. It's about just kind of realizing that you are attracting the wrong people because that's what was happening. I was like, why is, why am I attracting, you know, people that I don't really necessarily want to work with because Mm -hmm. I was, I was putting energy out there that wasn't really my energy. I was putting energy that I was told to put. And so that's something that's really important, especially when my second tip would be for when you do market research, because I fully believe market research is super important when it comes to wanting to know what's out there, what people are thinking about um, maybe your offers or maybe the way that you that you put in your copywriting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But one of my biggest tips that I would tell people, because that's something I felt for before I knew um, better, is that when you do your market research, if you realize that a lot of people want something different than what you're offering it doesn't mean that what you're offering is bad it means you are asking the wrong people because that's what I did when I did my first round of market research I did it with coaches and consultants because in my coaching program that's essentially what we decided to do and then I realized as I was talking to them some of the people I felt super aligned with and some others I didn't and then when I reached out to other types of entrepreneurs so maybe product businesses authors or like anything else I realized the same kind of trend happened. Some entrepreneurs I was super aligned with, some I wasn't. Because at the end of the day, you want to be aligned with someone's values. You want to be aligned with what they believe in, with what they're doing in their business, what they're doing in their marketing. That's way more important than the type of person there is. Because to me, it doesn't matter if the person is um, sells products or books or courses or services. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. And so I was like, oh, I was doing this all wrong. I was targeting an audience that didn't really align because for me, it's all about helping heart-centered entrepreneurs and who really want to do marketing in a way that feels good, in a way that feels fun, you mm-hmm. know, because marketing is not a guaranteed success. It's something that works long-term, even with social media, you can get fast results, but most of the time it takes two to three months before you can see if a strategy is working or not. And when it comes to Google SEO and all of that, it can take one to two years to see results. So it's like you need to really like what you're doing in your marketing, because if you're the one doing it, and which is the case for most small business owners who don't necessarily have, you know, the budget to hire a team to do it. And if they're doing it themselves, you will get discouraged very fast if you don't like what you're doing. And that's why it's so important to be happy and satisfied with your marketing because otherwise it will be rough because it was really rough for me. I couldn't even last more than a month when I was doing marketing in a way that didn't feel aligned for me. And I was just, I kind of burnt out because I was trying to do things that just didn't feel good. It has to be like authentic because if you don't put out authenticity, then yeah, you're going to get the wrong people because they're going to be like matching to the wrong thing, yes. which is which is the wrong thing that you're putting out. So yeah, the authentic authentic part is is pretty big with marketing. Yes, it's it's so important. That's why it's like one of the biggest advice that I give people. It's like really always, yes, other people can give you great feedback. It can give you, you know, insights as to maybe like there's one thing in your copy or whatever that like doesn't feel clear for people. So then you might clear that up to make sure that everyone understands your message. And like all of those things are super great. And that's why you should be doing market research and making sure that everything is super clear that you're like on your landing page or whatever, or your website, you are answering all of people's questions and doing all of that. That's great. 
But if you're, you know, starting out and you're doing market research for the first time, or it's, you've been doing it in the past, but it didn't go well, like really, if people are just kind of not responding at all to your offer, that means it was the wrong people. Because I mean, unless like, it's, it's rare that I've seen people that their offers made completely no sense. Most of the time, it's just something that needs to be tweaked just to make sure that everyone understands or to answer questions, like, because there will be questions that will come up for a lot of people. And it's, it's about putting answers to those questions in your copy. And it's really just kind of little things that need to be changed. But sometimes you really like, it doesn't have to be about everything. It really is about making sure that people understand what you're saying and understand your message. And that's about it. But otherwise, when you do market research, it's really just to see how your ideal audience really reacts to it. But at the end of the day, you are not the one who are really choosing your ideal audience. It's more your ideal audience choose you. You are attracting them with the energy that you put out. Because even if I'm like, okay, I want to work with coaches and consultants, but I'm putting energy out there that attracts other people, well, that means I'm attracting other people. So you want to make sure that your energy is aligned and it's authentic because that's when you're going to be attracting your ideal audience. And it might not be who you think it is. Like I was surprised sometimes because I would do mark, I would do marketing and I wouldn't talk about a specific industry, but my messaging attracted a lot of people in the wellness industry, even though I didn't put wellness anywhere. I didn't say that I was doing marketing for wellness. It's just, it just attracted those people because a lot of my values align with people that go into wellness. And so that's why you really want to do things that feels aligned with you. And then you're going to attract the people you actually want to work with who might not be who you thought. <laughs> yeah, it might be a total surprise. And I feel like if you're really being yourself in your marketing, then it, it shouldn't be like it shouldn't be take that much effort. Whereas I feel like when it's not aligned, you really notice that it's like this is really difficult. I'm getting burnt out and like it shouldn't be hard to be yourself, right? So exactly. the actual doing of the marketing takes effort. Like you have to do the posts and all that stuff, but that like that, that mental and emotional energy you put out there, if that's like also effort, then it's like, okay, are you really being yourself here? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I would love to talk about your relationship to creativity. You've been an artist since you were very young. Um, I'm just curious, when did creativity first start showing up for you and what sorts of things were you creating? Like what, what were you instinctively drawn to? So I was, um, I remember when I was really young, I was always very, I'm French. So there was this expression that they would say that essentially translate to like, oh, you're lost on the moon, which like essentially is about, I was, kind of not there in the sense that people would be, you know, talking to me, but I was just kind of in my own world. And I was always very intrigued by everything that I was watching. And I was French, but I was watching stuff in English and somehow understanding everything because children have amazing abilities when it comes to language. And the first time that I was just kind of really trying to put art into reality was after I watched Mulan. So I was so in love with that movie. I mean, I was three, but I love that movie so much that I decided to go grab scissors and cut all of my hair. <laughs> and my parents <laughs> were like, what have you done? And it was like, and then I was not allowed to have like scissors because it was like, you know, those kid scissors that, I mean, they can't really hurt you, but they can't cut hair because hair is like very flimsy um, and easily cuttable. But so I was like always very, you know, into art, into painting, into doing all of those things, because for me, it made more sense than a lot of the other activities that other kids would be doing. Like I never wanted to, I don't know, play with trucks or 
I mean, I really tried because a lot of my friends, they were really into trucks, but I was like, I don't see the point. I needed to do something creative. Even when I was playing Barbie, I might like my own kind of game about it was to dress them up in like cute outfits and then to like make the house look pretty. And then that's it. And I was like, okay, I'm done. Um, <laughs> I'm done with like dressing them up and making them look nice. And then, yeah, it was about just kind of like fashion. I did a lot of drawing for fashion when I was a kid. Cause you would have like these kind of booklets that had like just kind of bodies like mannequins and then you kind of draw fashion on them. So I would do that. I started doing um, painting classes when I was really young, but I really hated classes. I was like, you are not telling me how to do this. I was like, at my, I was on, Honestly, I was the kid that teachers, at least in art type of classes or cooking or anything like that, they just, they liked me, but they were also like, why is she so stubborn? Why does she never follow instruction? I don't think I've ever followed an instruction when it came to art. I just, especially cooking, I was like, I'm not doing what you want. Like you're, you're wanting me to do like, I was a child. Like, why are you wanting me to do fish? I don't want to do fish. Like I'm not doing fish. And it was the same kind of thing for art because um, I, I was like, I wanted to paint one thing, you know, like they were like, oh, you need to paint fruit. And I was like, I want to paint a cat. So I'm going to paint a cat. Like, I'm going to do what I want. And they would always be like, you know, like you need to do this now. And I was like, yeah, okay. And then I would just not do it. And then, but at the end of the day, they couldn't say anything because my paintings always look like a painter actually did them. They're like plastered all over my house and, you know, guests always thought like oh who's the artist who did this it's like oh yeah the, that 10 year old child in the house that's who did it and it's like it was always very important for me to just kind of do what I want it was where I could be the most authentic because in real life outside of art I could not be because I am neurodivergent and although it took years before anyone noticed anything um I mean people noticed but you know did nothing I mean I was very different because I'm autistic and I'm like what I, what they would call weird I was a weird one of everything like every group that I was in even though like my friends were um very accepting of me they were still like I was still the weird one even though we were all technically weird I was still the weird of the weird somehow I was always the weirdest one and it was very hard to be able to be myself because schools don't really let you be yourself. Even for people who don't have any kind of neurodivergence or anything, it's very hard for people who are perfectly normal to be themselves in school. So when you're neurodivergent, it's like practically impossible to kind of survive school. And I was lucky enough not to go to preschool. So I only started at five, age five. So from age zero to five, my life was pretty okay because I was I could do whatever like I want um, in my house. Um, my nanny was very like she kept to herself so for me that was good because I wanted to be alone <laughs> but when I first started school then I was like oh what is this like what is this that now like I have to do all of these things that I don't want to do and I don't I didn't see the point and at age six I asked my mom if I could die because I was tired of living and I didn't see the point anymore because we're always doing the same boring thing like at age six like this is a really red side pretty, it's pretty deep <laughs> yeah that I was just like I was literally just here like why why are we doing this everything is so boring we're always doing the same thing nothing like what is the point of this and you know she answered like well you know it's so that we can have like Christmas breaks and March break and like all of those things and um, I was like I don't want to spend like 50 weeks a year doing things I hate for two weeks of nice like what I was like no because the two weeks because at Christmas starting about like school age I started literally 
hating Christmas because I was so exhausted and I couldn't enjoy Christmas anymore because I was exhausted from school and I was just like kind of depressed, honestly. I mean, at the time I didn't know because they don't teach you in grade school what depression is. But for me, creativity was the only way to survive because if I didn't have creativity, I mean, I would not have survived any of that, any of my childhood, any of my high school years. It was really, it was when I could go on the weekends and I could paint and I could do all of these things that I could really be myself and just kind of do what I want which is also why I was kind of like the rebel of the class just never doing what they were saying because I was like listen I spent five days a week doing what those teachers want me to do when it doesn't make sense when it's boring when everyone in the class hates it like here is my time to do what I want and so for me it was really doing that and when I became older and I learned how to write I mean even when I didn't know how to write I was still trying to write but you know I wrote more when I when I started high school, I was all about writing. And then I started writing a bunch of books. And it was how I could escape reality because reality was harsh. And when it wasn't harsh, it was boring. So it was like, I was always (laughs) like, I mean, when I was a child, I was always waiting for my Hogwarts letter. Like that was a thing. I was like, when is my Hogwarts letter going to come? Like all of my friends, we were role playing Harry Potter. I was a Hermione for most of my life. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, we were always playing, pretending to be wizards. Because, I mean, what else are you going to do? Like during your, your lunchtime, when you spend like your entire day just like listening to boring teachers. I mean, we wanted to leave to Hogwarts. We were like, we never could understand, you know, like how in Harry Potter, some people like are whining about their classes we would be like shut up you're like learning the most amazing things come here and learn algebra and talk to me like I'm going to go and learn spells you know like that's why like everyone in my everyone in my year everyone in my school was always really relating to Hermione who wants to learn everything because it's so cool and meanwhile school was so boring so for me like creativity always has been about being myself and you know, expressing myself also, because it was always safer. It was always safer to express myself through painting or through writing, through song, through literally anything rather than to actually verbally doing it because I had trouble with, because I can speak, obviously I can communicate, but social norms are very complicated, especially when I was a child, I couldn't understand half of the things that people were doing. So for me, creativity was just easier. It was just easier because especially when I could write, because then through my character, I could express how I was feeling and it was safe because in you know, in my house, it wasn't very safe to express my emotions. At school, it wasn't safe to express my emotions. Because if anyone kind of like acted out of place, because of very valid reasons, I mean, they were kind of kicked out of class, or they were penalized because they had feelings. So for me, I was like, okay, the only way I can have feelings is through song, it's through writing, it's through all of these creative, creative things, really, that just kind of let you be yourself without judgment. And I love how the way that you approached it is like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to do what I want. You can't tell yeah. me what to do. And that goes so nicely with the whole idea of being a wild creative. <laughs> so with the art and creativity, um, I know you now you identify as an artist and writer, but have you ever had imposter syndrome in the past to the point where you didn't identify that way? Like for instance, I, I have a client who's been writing her whole life and only just recently has started to say that she's a writer. As, we're, as I'm working with her to publish this book that she's that she's written. And I just can't believe she's like in her 70s and she's finally saying it now. And I know I've struggled with that too, imposter syndrome. So what's your relationship to that term? 
So I honestly think I will always say I have imposter syndrome. I say I would say like that's part of my experience with life, not just with creativity. I actually like right today, um, one of the books I contributed to is being published and I was asked to write my business story and I was like wondering what I'm going to ask about, like what am I going to write about? Because I'm very familiar with writing fiction, but nonfiction is obviously different. And the only nonfiction thing that I had written in the past was scientific articles, <laughs> which is not <laughs> what, and it's, it's awful. It is awful. It is awful. Terrible. Like scientific articles just take all the life out of the writing. It's the worst. And so I was like, what am I going to be writing about? And then I just felt such like an imposter. I was like, my God, I call myself a writer and I don't even know what I'm going to write. And I was like, and then I was like, perfect. I'm going to write about imposter syndrome. And I wrote about my relationship with imposter syndrome ever since. I mean, ever since I can remember, I, I don't have that many memories about my childhood. Most of what I have is through video because my mom was like, I need to film everything that happens, which is great because now I can know what happened to me. <laughs> but it's like... I have like little memories not here and there, but most of my memories are from high school. And I know I had imposter syndrome really badly because I mean, I felt out of place. I didn't feel like I belonged there. I felt like even if I was getting like really good grades and I was top of my class, I felt stupid. I just felt stupid because people around you kind of make you feel stupid in a way that, I mean, I was bullied a lot, um, even though it wasn't really about intellect so much as it was like they were bullying me for my hair or something honestly stupid like that but teachers honestly and as awful as students can be teachers are way worse I had so many bad experiences with teachers and like you would assume that when you're like top of the class the teacher's gonna love you false some of them will but some of them won't maybe because like they're just something's up with them but there were some of my teachers they just hated everyone and you were not safe from them even if you were a good student like even if you followed all of their weird rules even if you did everything right they still kind of hated you um, because something was up with them and it was a private school as well so that like kind of factored in it was kind of weird vibes with the teachers and I mean some of my teachers sometimes they would just get mad and they would make everyone fail just like that and you know like some a lot of people would like make complaints but they would have like tenure or whatever that thing is called where like they are like kind of protected by everything and Un- untouchable kind of yeah untouchable yeah. yeah and it was it was very bad I mean I had teachers who she was mad at me so she was like I'll put in your report card like a bunch of stuff and I'll like I'll lie to them um to make sure that you never get to university and like threats like that that are pretty serious And, you know, even if I was good, I was like, okay, but all my teachers, I mean, not all of them, I shouldn't generalize, but a lot of them, they were very mean and very bad with a lot of people. And so I was like, you know what, like, maybe I am just stupid, because I would get bullied by these teachers. And although I was a bit better at kind of ignoring my peers, if they were bullying me, it was harder when it's a form of authority that kind of had like your future in their hands. And it was very, very hard for me to kind of feel like, I had some value because they made me feel like I was worthless. I mean, they were very bad people, honestly. And it was the same when I came to university. Actually, I would say my teachers in university were worse. Like they would tell, they would tell me that I would never graduate because I asked the question. Like I skipped two years. So obviously when I reached university, I 
they didn't know everything and it was very hard for me I never should have skipped <laughs> like looking back like if any like honestly skipping is like such a bad idea but I did it and it was very hard because those teachers were all about making other people feel inferior like it was never just which kind of helped because that meant like a lot of other people could kind of relate and we would kind of like help each other out to not become so discouraged but it's very hard when you know you're just starting up university you're young like I was 16 when I started so I was like the odd one out and I was feeling so much like an imposter everyone was so old compared to me and I had to find other people that skipped so they were younger but otherwise it was like these teachers were like oh like if you don't know the difference between those two words then you're too stupid to be here and I was I would be like okay you're confirming my entire life story that I am too stupid to be here right it's like they're validating all those internal thoughts and yes I don't think that teachers realize how much of an effect they have on kids because yes. I've had I've not had that before where they're like threatening me the grades and stuff that's pretty terrible but like in grade nine in high school you had the option to like no you had to take french mandatory in grade nine and then after that it became optional and i because of my french teacher in grade nine i didn't continue french afterwards at that school because i was like well she was the only french teacher and she has her favorites who she like loves and then she like totally dismisses everybody else and i really struggled in grade nine french for some reason even though i'd done it in grade four to eight in elementary um and got pretty good grades but then I got to grade nine and I was really struggling and she just like seemed like she didn't care didn't have the time of day for me so that really turned me off and you know I would have liked to have learned French better but I, now I don't <laughs> so right it, they really do affect you even like in so many ways and it was very hard to like kind of hear all of that from those teachers especially teachers who control your grade I mean I had a teacher in the doctorate I mean like I was saying like he would be screaming at us and that is so abusive. Like, I would just be sitting here like, how is this possible? And every time people would like call him out and try to do something, but he had tenure and tenure in university is even more like untouchable than in high school. So I was like, my God, like, it's terrible. Like the, like the education system, it's not, it's just wrong at the end of the day. And I was just like, kind of like, okay, then I am definitely an imposter here. I need to leave, especially because again, I was the youngest. I was like 20 years old. Everyone was like 30 and up. And they were always just like, okay, like this kid, what is this kid doing here? You know? And I was like, okay, I'm leaving. And I thought that when I left, you know, the imposter syndrome would have stayed there, but it didn't because it's part of me now. It's not, even though school pretty much gave that to me, it's in me. And when I first started doing work, I just felt like an imposter all the time. And I still kind of do because at first the imposter syndrome was telling me, you need to be someone else because people will not work with you if you are yourself because look at the past when you were yourself look what happened like people bullied you people you know like would either if they did not bully you and they pretended to be your friend and you'd later learn that they talk behind your back that you're so weird and you're so strange and you're whatever and like you kind of just learned that you know life kind of failed you in a way and it's like why would life suddenly be good you know like that the imposter syndrome won't just like the imposter syndrome looks at the past it looks at like a lot of different things and it's hard to kind of beat it but at the end of the day even if I was doing everything that the imposter syndrome wanted me to I still felt like an imposter <laughs> like so I was like you know what if I'm gonna feel like an imposter I might as well be myself because it's less effort and it's less and it's less hard and you know every time that you are yourself and it works imposter syndrome gets less strong and of course it might be there still it might come up sometimes of course but every time that you do something as yourself and it 
goes well, it's it's a win against imposter syndrome. Whereas if you're a persona and you're kind of because you think you need to, and that's what I did at first for school, for work, for everything, like just to kind of show up as like not myself and just kind of masking a lot. Every time that people accept you, you can't feel good. You just kind of feel even more like an imposter because you're like, oh, they like a fake version of me. They like something that I'm not, right? So it's like the only way you can, in my opinion, anyway, the only way you can really battle imposter syndrome is if you gather the courage to be yourself and just kind of take the wins and the times that it doesn't work out, you shed those people away from your life because it's not you that's the problem. It's some people sometimes they can't tolerate someone who is authentic and genuine because they are not. And it's threatening their way of living, which means it's not really your problem. It's not your issue. It's not your thing. It's just, it's hard, obviously, but it's really about learning to shed those people, especially when it comes to when it comes to creativity, I felt a bit less. I mean, I did always feel like an imposter because I was I never I was never doing things the way that I was told to. So <laughs> I was like, I always felt like I was just kind of doing my own thing. And even though like at the end, the result was good, my technique or my methods or whatever, even when I started doing music, I don't know how to read music. I don't want to either. I just found it so weird to read music. To me, it worked. My music comes from hearing it and then I just kind of do it. I, I always learn to play by ear. For me, it's just so much easier. But then that made me feel such like an imposter because everyone was like, you know how to read music. And I'm like, okay, but I can play better than you though. So why do I need to read music? Like, I just didn't understand what was oh my gosh. of that. I, the other day we were saying how like, you are, are me and you the same person? Because we have so much in common. And I also only do music by ear. I've been playing the piano since I was like seven. I could not figure out how to learn how to read music. I was learning, because when I was learning how to do, how to read music, like sheet music, with the whole notes and the quarter notes, I was also learning fractions at the same time in school, and I hated it. So when I'd go to my music lesson, I was like, oh, I hate this too. I don't want to learn about how to read music. So I just like, I can read music if I sit there and like write it out and and figure it out but I can't I can't sight read it I cannot sight read music and I I it's like 20 years later and I still can't and but I play piano and sing almost every day and I figure out songs by ear and I do covers of them and I just make up my own songs I don't write anything on my I don't have all I have on my piano stand is lyrics I don't have any sheet music (laughs) it's all it's all in my head it's all in my hands you know but so for some other people who play, who can sight read, I feel I'm just like, ooh, I feel like I should be able to do that by now, but I can't. And so maybe I'm not as good or whatever, even though they maybe have never ma- written a song before, they just know how to read or they've never, they can't do music by ear, but I can. So it's kind of, it's, yeah, I feel like, yeah, you have to take the wins when you can and being yourself, that's a good tip to kind of get through it as well, because like, like you said, then people start to like a false version of you, which then like reinforces that yes. feeling inside you of like, oh, you're not nothing, good enough. Yeah, nothing about this is right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why it's just imposter syndrome can be strong, especially if you're different. The more different you are, I feel the more imposter syndrome you will feel. But at the end of the day, it's like it doesn't matter because art, especially art, because I mean, like math, one plus one equals two. Okay. Okay, I can accept that. But when it comes to art, it's like, it's so subjective to me. Every time that they would try to up, like objectify art, even like literature, I would always be like, what are you doing? I failed at um, understanding literature. They were like, you don't understand. And I'm like, how do you know what the person thought when they were writing it? What if I'm right? 
Like, how do you know? Like, it's not, it's not like, because we would be like, this would be about texts written like hundreds of years ago. I would be like, how do you know? They wrote nowhere, their interpretation. This is your, yours. And I would be like, why am I wrong? Because I would interpret things in a very different way. And they were like, no, you're wrong. And I would be like, of what? Because I was good when it was like text, like um, informative. So informative text, I was good with that. Um, because again, that's more like one plus one equals two. But when it came to like literature and fiction, my God, apparently I was stupid. I could not understand anything ever. And I was like, but I do like, what if I'm right? How, how do they know yeah. that they're right? I was like, this is so arrogant. There's, there's no like quantifiable, like there's no quantifiable. Yes. yes no. Like, as you said, one plus one is two, That that doesn't exist in art. Like you it can't doesn't. Yeah. No. So it's kind of comical almost when people try to say like, this is what it means. And this is the only thing it means and no other. It's like, no, that's, that's, that's they would right. do that with the, they would do that with paintings too like in art class mm. we had to like explain paintings and I, and I would find an explanation they would be like oh you're wrong I'm like how do you know this is a painting that was done like so long ago I mean it's like what are you saying and like the goal of art I mean in my opinion is for that people that they can kind of have their own interpretation of it and their own like for instance, Harry Potter so I'm a big fan of Harry Potter I mean JK Rowling right now is really pissing me off with all of the drama around her I won't get into that but anyway I as a child I really loved Harry Potter and you know this was before all of the drama with her so anyway I really loved Harry Potter and it saved my life like point blank it saved my life because when I was in high school having all these bullies and like the teachers treating me like crap I was like you know what Harry survived Humbridge and as terrible as my teachers are, they're not as bad as her because she would physically torture her students, right? So I was like, you know what? Like he survived that while no one was believing him that Voldemort was back. I was like, I, if if he can survive that, I can survive this. And I kind of just like would read the fifth book over and over to kind of survive high school. Like that's how I survived. I would just kind of like have Harry as like my, not my friend, but like, you know, like my mentor almost like, I was yeah. like yes like I am to. always yeah exactly I was like because every feeling he had because he's very angry in that book I related to and I was like I feel so validated because when I would talk about these issues with other students of course they understood because they were leaving the same thing but when I was trying to talk to like adults or formal authority they're just like well it is what it is like live with it and it's like uh, no like he was so angry and I was like same because I was so angry that this was happening and so it really helped me kind of live through that but I mean J.K. Rowling when she wrote that like I don't know what she was thinking and it doesn't matter because for me it was you know my kind of self-help book <laughs> almost really and it was that's what it was for me and like it doesn't matter what was the meaning what was the secret meaning into whatever like it doesn't matter because for me that's what it was and when I was and when I'm writing my books and I think about whoever's going to read it they like for me I'm not like they need to understand that this is this and whatever and I'm like no like they can do whatever they want they want with it like if for them it's like a book that they're just reading because they're bored and they want distraction fine if they want to make this like you know their self-help book <laughs> that they help that helps them go through perfect like it's all about what they want and it's the same being forced to interpret something in a way that didn't feel aligned with me I was like why are you doing this and arch is not about that at all so I feel like because I was so annoyed <laughs> at teachers telling me how to analyze art it kind of helped me in my imposter syndrome because I was like you're so wrong that if you're so wrong then I must be right 
because you're so wrong. Like you're so out of place here. So I must be right in some kind of way. But it is true that I still battle imposter syndrome because when I would read something that would be really beautifully written, I would be like, my God, my English is not good enough because English is my second language. And although I really love writing in English, my English is not perfect. Obviously, I don't have the extensive vocabulary that some writers do. So I do feel an imposter when it comes to that. But at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? My readers liked what I wrote and they when I read if I don't understand the words it's more it's harder for me to read so I do tend to like more simple writing because for me it's all about the plot and the characters less so about the writing itself I don't for sure it's more about the story yeah, yeah it's more about the story because some people like for them it's like really prose and like poems and like the writing more, is more about like the craft very, right and like and I understand that and I respect that but for me it's more about the story and how well I can immerse myself in a story kind of similar for uh, movies and tv shows and whatever it's like sometimes like some tv shows or movies like they will have the most amazing effects and everything is so beautiful but the story is so boring so I'm just like I don't I don't want to be in it right but sometimes other shows that have like zero budget and the side like the um the visual effects are so bad but I love it so I'm still watching it because I love the characters. I love the story. I love everything. And it makes me feel sometimes very nostalgic because this was the kind of special effects that I had when I was a kid. <laughs> so I just love it. So for me, it's for that. So it's like, yeah, I just kind of like try to tell myself that when I have imposter syndrome, I'm like, well, you know what? Like it's for me, it's not about the fancy words. It's about is the book entertaining is are the characters you know do they have a lot of depth are they fun are they characters that I can relate to is the story something like is the pacing of the story good like I care more about those things than the writing so I try to tell myself that when it comes to imposter syndrome and I feel like when you're putting out books and writing and art in general like you kind of have to trust that your readers and your audience will know what they like and they'll be drawn to your work and if they if it attracts them and if the those who don't won't and they'll move on and they'll find something else so i i do want to talk about your books and writing um in a second here but before we do because you've brought up harry potter a few times now i'm also a harry potter fan um <laughs> did you did you all ever do the pottermore quiz and like get sorted into your house so i did it a couple of times because i kept forgetting my username and password that was a okay. whole thing um that's still a thing for me <laughs> i'm yeah. terrible with passwords but so I got I got Gryffindor the first time and I was very glad because I if I would and I know in the books, I mean in the movies as well, they talk a lot about choice. Because I mean a lot of the characters they could have been in a different house. Like Hermione could have been Ravenclaw, Ron could have been easily Hufflepuff, and Harry, I mean, we already know the whole Slytherin, Gryffindor, like dichotomy and like the the sorting hat who was like, You should be in Slytherin, and he was like, No. I am going to be Gryffindor. So I feel like if like I would be sort of Gryffindor because I want to be, but every time I took it afterwards, I was in Ravenclaw. And it's not that I don't want to be in Ravenclaw because I do really like, like everything that they stand for. But for me, it's easy to be creative. It's easy to be imaginative. It's easy to use my intellect. It's harder to be courageous. I want to learn how to be more courageous, you know? So I feel like, and I, for me, like when I was younger, 
I was afraid of so many things. I was afraid of my family. I was afraid of school. I was afraid. I was afraid. I mean, I, even to this day, I mean, I struggle with anxiety and fear a lot. And if I didn't have courage, I would not survive this world. And so for me, that's why when I was younger, I was like, courage is so important for me and bravery and all of that. And so that's why I really, really valued Gryffindor because I would look at those characters being so brave and I would be like, I want to be like that. So I was more kind of a Neville you know how he's afraid of everything but he's choosing to be brave Mm -hmm. so it was like it was like that for me to really just choosing bravery and so that's why I was always like oh I am a Gryffindor so whenever people would ask me I was like I am a Gryffindor even if in your heart like in in my heart because I do love Ravenclaw but I feel like they wouldn't really teach me anything yeah the way that Gryffindor would um, and to kind of just like have this bravery vibe around me um, would kind of really help me the way that it helped Neville. Like at the end of the day, he became a super brave, braver than most. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like similar for me, like the way that um, I would want to do things. So I always associated myself with Gryffindor, even though Potomar was like, you are a Ravenclaw. And I'm like, no. <laughs> maybe maybe on the outside, on the inside, I'm a Gryffindor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like, okay, but like in the books, they give you like the choice as well. So I feel like the Sorting Hat would look at me and be like, you'd be good in Ravenclaw. And I'd be like, I want to be Gryffindor and be like, okay, then. Okay, yeah. then. Um, I mean, because it's all about, it's all about choice because like, yeah. they all wanted like Ron, I mean, he's such a Hufflepuff, like he's yes. such a Hufflepuff. And but I mean, his old family was in Gryffindor. Of course, he wanted to be in Gryffindor because otherwise, what would he look like if he wasn't? So he was sort of there because he is also brave. But, you know, he has a lot of Hufflepuff qualities. And it's the same for, you know, all of these people. And so that's why I'm just like, yeah, Gryffindor is is where I would belong. Also, I really love the color red. So well, <laughs> as a child, I was like, yes. This is so everywhere. funny. When I did the test, I got Slytherin, which I like totally knew was going to happen. <laughs> so I was like, okay, yeah, I'm good with that. That's That seems right. <laughs> so um, I don't know what that says about me as a person, but <laughs> it worked so the out. Fun, the funny part is whenever I would do not the Pottermore test, but you know, these other tests like on BuzzFeed or whatever. And like, mm-hmm. I got like no matter the t- I got started in all the houses except Slytherin and I think that was because when I was younger I didn't want to be Slytherin um because I mean when I first started watching Harry Potter I was six and JK Rowling makes Slytherin look bad like she just does yeah. she has a thing against it actually um it's when I grew older and like I went more in depth about this and I was like oh she had a bias <laughs> she had a clear bias here but when I was younger I was like oh no because then Slytherin meets bad and like when mm-hmm. I'm when you're a kid like you don't know the nuances and you don't like uh, and everyone mm-hmm. is kind of like bad in in Slytherin and so when I grew older I became very slytherin in the sense that like I became very smart cunning like ambitious and really um you know capable of I don't know getting what I wanted and so it was qualities that I could appreciate more as an adult than a child. Because as a child, like when you see this, like especially in the movies, I mean, there's more nuances in the books. But in the movies, it's like Slytherin is not good. No, I it's know. Like they, she's like portraying this as like, oh, this is like the, the evil house, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it's like, but it's really not like that. It's just kind of like a... Because there's, it's just there's, an ambitious yeah. house. And when I did the quiz, I... Like, I didn't know what I was going to get, but when I got Slytherin, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. And it was I wasn't like, oh, that says I'm an evil person. Like, I, for some reason, didn't think of that house as, like, the evil house. I, there was people in it who were evil, yeah. and I thought, I thought like, that's that's on them. They're, they're dickheads, not the house. But yeah. so when I, and then when I looked up more about the Slytherin house and the ambition and stuff, I'm like, yeah, like, that that is me. Like, that aligns. So, 
yeah yeah that that so that's I feel like honestly anyone can fit in any house it's yeah. more about what they want mm -hmm. um and what they like kind of want to for me like for me even though like I value the loyalty of Hufflepuff I'm a very loyal person I value you know the creativity and intellect of Ravenclaw I value the ambition and you know um of Slytherin but at the end of the day for me it was always about all of those things being loyal it's easy for me it's easy for me to be ambitious it's easy for me to be creative but it's hard to be courageous so I want to be that so yeah. that's why I was like yeah it needs it, it needs to be that way because otherwise it's like if I wasn't courageous I my god I would not have survived this world <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it, that makes sense actually so for your writing and your books um uh, what I want to ask you, like, what sorts of things have you published in the past or what are you working on right now? So um, I've written a lot of books um, when I was younger. Like I'm the type of person who has like 20 books open at the same time um, because I just have like too many different ideas. And when I start a book, it's never going to be a standalone book. It's always like a multi-book series because it's just it's just the way that I really love world building, which means that. I can't be contained in one book. So I was always someone who would write like those stories. They, it always had some fantasy element to it or science fiction or something like that. I didn't like writing something that was too real because I had my real life. I don't, I don't want that. Like my, my goal with fiction was to write some kind of fantasy world um, or if it was set in, you know, our world where there was some magical elements or there were other worlds, portals, whatever, like anything that just kind of, had some kind of magic to it in some shape or form. I did like a bunch of different types of magic in different books. I did publish not like, you know, on Amazon or like paper books. I published on like, I honestly can't remember the name right now, but it's like, you know, like Wattpad type of place, but not right. Wattpad. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, like I just published there. I published online essentially. And it was again, fantasy books, but because it was in the LGBTQ plus community, I think there's more letters now. Anyway, because like <laughs> yes. um, as as part of the community, I mean, I I've written honestly any type of relationship, like girl boy, boy boy, girl girl. Um, but you know, for that, what I was publishing was two boys, well, two men actually, because they were adults. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, I got a lot of hate for it. Well, not a lot. Like I'm exaggerating in the sense, but it's just like it just takes like a few people threatening to kill you to kind of mess with your head. And so although it was very loved by a lot of people, I met a lot of great people through publishing all of that. I took it all down when there were I became too popular and there were a lot of threats because because it was people just kind of didn't like that I was writing gay characters. <laughs> it's as simple as that. It's just it happens, right? And it was published all anonymously, right? Yeah, yeah. I had a I had like aliases. I honestly can't even remember the analysis. It was so long ago, but it was it was honestly hard because I'm a very afraid person, as I've stated, which is why courage is so important. But it's like when people were like, you know, telling me that they were going to send people to kill me, to rape me, to do like a bunch of things. I was like, whoa. And even if like logically I could be like, how are they going to find out where I live? I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like just even if it was at the back of my head, just the fear, just knowing that people out there wanted to hurt me that way, it really, 
it really messed with my head and I was like okay no I'm I'm going away from this because I posted before like a lot of things all of fan fiction like on blogs or whatever um and you know it was when I my writing wasn't very good it was in French also <laughs> so like I didn't get discovered by anybody really because it wasn't like you, I, I think like you really need to be writing in language that's like very popular um so like English Mandarin or like all these other languages that a lot of people speak to be kind of discovered but it was in French so nobody like I just I just kind of like made friends and you know it was fun but like I don't know why but when I started writing in English now it became popular and it's like it just it just attracted so many people that I just didn't want to attract and it was really it was really hard and I just didn't want that anymore so I was like I'm taking a break but so is there anything <laughs> sorry is there anything you're working on right now yes that's... actually I just started like a few days ago to start again I mean aside from I'm I am writing non-fiction for my business but in terms of fiction I am starting to write again as we speak because I'm revisiting my old books and kind of rewriting them because they were written when I was a teenager so there's that teenager vibe that I want to not have yeah. um, because I mean it makes sense if you're a teenager you're gonna have a teenager vibe if you're an adult you're gonna have an adult vibe so and if you're a child you're gonna have a child vibe like that's just how it is um, so I kind of want to change that because the story is very good it's a story that I really loved I stopped writing it as a teenager because I was like this is too good for me to write right now. I want to wait until my English is better. Because if I had written it in French, I could have done it, but I didn't want to write it in French. I don't like the French language that much. Um, I like it for poems, but not for fiction. It does. It seems. It doesn't seem like serious enough. I'm like, it just seems. I don't know, romantic. And I'm like, no, like my stories have like action and like I don't know. It just English fits better. So I wanted my English to be better, and I waited a long time to get back to these because I was like, this is my like golden idea like, this is amazing the world that I've built in this is amazing and I finally decided to write it again with my wife so that I'm not alone through this because I feel like that was the hardest part of my experience in the past the fact that I was alone through it and it was hard because I did have some friends who were going through similar things with the threats but yeah I was <laughs> it's just it it happens that way when you write um, I mean some of my friends they were writing like trans fan fiction and so people were so mad, like apparently because you like changed the gender of someone or whatever. It's like people want to kill you. Right. And it was so they could relate, but they were less afraid than me. I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a scaredy cat. I get afraid of things. Well, that's uh, honestly, that's that is one thing that is understandable to be afraid of. Yeah. That is some screwed up stuff there. Like when people say that kind of stuff, it's also really cowardly, too. Like they don't yeah. like there's no. Yeah, like you said, like how they could possibly could they find me? Like it's such a cowardly threat, but at the same time, I could see how that messes with your head. For yeah, sure, it was so. it was just very it was very stressful. I was younger as well, so it was, I was like in my very early twenties, so I was just like, "What is this? What yeah, is this? What the heck? What is this?" Well, I, we only have you know another ten-ish minutes or so, so I do want to, but I do really want to ask you about your creative process because that's always I love talking about that with people. So, do you have some sort of ritual or practice or process for when you're doing your like world building or your creative writing? So I would like say something to get you in the zone. One or... thing in my process is music. Music is like a savior I don't know music it's just it's everything and I have always been very connected to music both instrumentals and the ones with lyrics but for different reasons so what would inspire me a lot would be songs honestly like I would hear a song like an instrumental song of some kind and then I would imagine a whole world you know like that was it's like I don't know why um I mean I, I know a lot of people in the creative world are like this to like it's kind it's I don't know the the 
music part of my brain very connected <laughs> with the creative part and for me what really helps me is music for every chapter that I've ever written I would write the song associated to it like the instrumental most of the time it was instrumental sometimes it was like lyricy but most of the time it was some instrumental that kind of fit with it because I listen to um like music in you know background in movies yes so it kind of like helps me put a background to my like to my books um so that was like the title of the the title of the chapters were songs and that was like another like a little easter egg that I would put in my things to see if people would figure it out that it's songs because yeah. the title made no sense ever with what was written afterwards it was always just because for the music that came with it so music definitely helps and another thing is like showers I don't know why but my best ideas just come in showers either in showers or right before I fall asleep it's always where I can't type it I'm like I know why <laughs> right um but it does yep. come like that to really just kind of it's when doing stuff like physically but I'm not really thinking as much and then my brain just starts creating probably like just it, it was always like that I would also get my best idea during exams because I would be bored during exams and I would just clock out <laughs> like I would be like okay I'm tired of doing this exam and then I would think and I would like think up of a whole world or something and then I would look at the clock and I'd be like oh it's been 30 minutes and then I would just finish the exam like that was my exam process and then I would have like the best ideas for a book like most of my book ideas in high school came from me during exams because I was bored out of my mind. <laughs> like what is that? Oh my gosh, that's so, so funny. Yeah. I so when you're when you're doing your world building, so what kind of technique to use? Because like world building is so much to hold in your head and it's so much to consider at one time. Do you work like with paper and pen, like sticky notes or on a board or like do you have some sort of digital program like when you're planning out? I should. <laughs> <laughs> but I do tend to hold um, a lot of things in my head um I how do I explain this my head holds like a lot of things when it comes to art like for me it was always harder to remember facts or whatever when it but I what I do my little trick and that was just not not just for creative process but for everything like the only way I like survived high school and everything else was because let's say I'm studying for an exam I will put one song on repeat the whole time I'm studying for that exam and I'm just reading through the stuff. Okay, I go on the exam, I play the song in my head, all the answers come. So I would use music for everything. Like my, my all my memory is stored in music. Every time I have a memory from high school or from anything of my past, it's associated to a song and that's how I remember things. And so when it would come to writing and all of world building and all of that, I would be also listening to songs. And so when I listen to the songs again, I remember. So, I mean, that's a bit chaotic, but that's also, that's also the way that it's worked for me. My wife is more organized than me. Like she will take notes about the stuff I say. Yeah. <laughs> so I can remember, cause I forget sometimes. I mean, of course, like it's not, my process is not perfect, but I don't like typing so much when I'm like world building in my head because it goes too fast for me to type it's easier with the music but yeah I should have some kind of maybe better process but for now it's kind of working with my music uh, music really does I don't know like I, I mean I know music is in a specific part of the brain but like that part of the brain in my brain is very very developed it's I feel like that's why because auditory wise for speaking it's hard for me it's much 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 harder when people leave me voice notes I want to cry genuinely because I'm like I need subtitles or I need to look at the person or whatever it's easier for me but when it comes to music it's like music is so easy like I will hear a song that I haven't heard in eight years and I can sing along and I've heard that song once like songs go in my head like and once the song I once I listen to a song once or twice it's there forever wow so it's and it's kind of like an associative uh uh trigger type thing I guess it's like once you hear I guess once you hear a per certain part of a song 
it triggers you to remember something yes. that you've associated with it, yeah. whether it was that was by accident or on purpose. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. that. If I hear to like, let's say I'm I'm listening to an old song that I used for an exam, then I will remember all of that stuff. Even if it was like high school math and I'm like, I don't want to remember this right now. So that means the song is kind of cursed forever. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like that because I do tend to, if I like a song, like I will listen to it on repeat until I'm tired of it. So I would song like one song is very associated to one thing because I it's rare that I listen to I don't know like a playlist or an album I listen to one song for like the whole time that I'm doing something and then if I'm doing something else then it's a different song so I feel like that's why it's easier for the my creative process or any process to be attached to a song and then when I listen to the songs again I can remember stuff in a much easier way that was my trick honestly for everything that's how I that's how I did school because otherwise, <laughs> no, I, I, I had no interest. That's also the thing. The song helped keep my brain interested because I'm, I wasn't interested in school. I wasn't interested in anything that they were talking about. But the song would keep my artistic brain interested enough to focus. And then I could retain because all of my teachers were like, you should not be listening to music when you study. I'm like, listen, if I don't do that, I will not study. I will not do it mm-hmm. for sure. So that's kind of good that you figured that out for yourself because they don't they don't really teach you that type of thing. Or as you just said, they'll tell you, oh, you can't listen to music. Oh, yeah, my parents your... too. They were like, stop so, listening to music. Like, you, yeah. you won't retain anything. I'm like, joke's on you. That's how I retain everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, one of my last questions I have for you, because you, uh, you've mentioned this to me before we were before the recording so I just want to mention it again here that um, you had said you were starting a new wellness business for neurodivergent people Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that yes so I I have a without going too much into detail I have I've had a really rough journey into um, the medical system both physically and mentally um, because of chronic illness both physically and mentally and the system has failed me generally, as it has failed a lot of people. Um, the Canadian health system is pretty good to save your life when you're about to die, but improving your quality of life or preventing illnesses or maintaining or like managing symptoms, no, they are terrible because they don't have enough funding. So they put all of their money into saving the dying people, which I mean, makes sense. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you're failing the rest of us who want to have a better life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for me, it was pretty hard to kind of feel good. I mean, I tried all the different types of meds. I mean, I didn't try it in like all the antidepressants, but like all the different types I've tried, the mood stabilizers, the antidepressants, the antipsychotics, did whatever, like they, like nothing worked on me. So they were always just kind of putting new stuff on me because it didn't work because at the time they didn't notice that I was neurodivergent. It got noticed because of actually my supervisor who studies that so he was like you have all of this and then I would really I had to fight hard to be recognized for because they put a label of me on me of bipolar and then they decided everything about me was bipolar and I was like listen here it's not it's not that it's not that I mean yes I do have bipolar symptoms but it's like every other symptom that had nothing to do with bipolar when I would go to them like my lack of attention not being able to focus on anything even if it's something I like I need the music to stabilize me or I have a lot of tics ever since I was one years old I've had tics and they were like just kind of this like forgetting about that and like I have pretty bad tics people scream at me sometimes to stop it's hard and it's like things like that that is just or like uh, severe abandonment issues, massive breakdowns if something changes in my routine or major food sensitivities. I was diagnosed with anorexia because I was very skinny and they thought I had an eating disorder. 
no, I just don't like the texture of things. It's not like I wasn't like, oh, no, I need to stay skinny. Like I had none of those thoughts. I had none of those behaviors. But they were like, you're not eating. And I'm like, yeah, because all of the food that, you know, my dad gives me, I don't like. Like, I don't like meat. I don't like these things. I don't like cooked veggies. Give me raw veggies. I will eat all of them. But cook them? Uh -uh. I'm not eating anything. You know, and it's, it was always like that for me. Like, texture is very, like, food sensitivities is really important. And it's like, I would have trouble going outside and they would just be like, oh, social anxiety. And I was like, no, it's the sound. Like talking to people, it's fine. It's just God, like loud places. I can't, I'm going to have a breakdown. <laughs> you know, like, it, was yeah. just, it was things like that, that I would, you know, bring up. And I would be like, listen, if like, and I was like that as a child as well. And when my mom started watching this show Atypical, which is about an autistic kid, she was like, my God, this is you. You've been like this your whole life. She was like, what? And then she and then she started like studying and like reading about autism. And she was like, my God, this whole time, this was you. And she was like, yeah. no one noticed because like no one, especially for girls, they go under the radar all the time for ADHD and autism. Like it's really, really bad. And I just, like I got failed by essentially everything because I mean, my parents, of course, they didn't know. I mean, how would they know? Where would they have learned about this, right? So my parents didn't know my doctors who should have known didn't either didn't really they just kind of were like oh yeah you're bipolar whatever and it's like okay no but uh, how do you explain how do you explain all of this and then I would have I had to really fight to get diagnosis and like really fight those people and it was so hard and then when you do get that they don't do anything either because let's say autism there's no there's no there's nothing to really do except for they offer like treatments that are outdated that don't make any sense that are really harmful and that teach you how to act neurotypical I know how to act neurotypical. I don't need to be taught that. Like, it's just I'm burnt out from acting neurotypical. I don't want to be neurotypical anymore. And so for me, the neurodivergent wellness is about helping people to be well and live well as themselves with, you know, their neurodivergence, like diagnosed or not, because to me, it really doesn't matter if you identify with something, you are something. It's like, it's like, imagine if you had to be diagnosed if to be gay. Like, to me, it's like that. It's the same. If someone is like, I identify as lesbian or trans or whatever, like, you do not need to see a doctor to the doctor to be like, mm, they do a little questionnaire and they're like, oh, yes, I, I also confirm that you are a lesbian. No, like, that doesn't exist. So for me, it's the same. It's like, because, like, honestly, I have seen so many psychiatrists. They do not know best. Honestly, I have more knowledge and training in psychology than them because they don't have a lot of training in psychology, actually. They know a lot about medication. They know a lot about medicine. Great. But do you know about psychology? Not so much. So I'm like, no. So like these people are not the best people that to help you. And I wish someone would have helped me. Someone would have told me that somewhere in my journey because I struggled when I really shouldn't have because the moment that I realized like I was neurodivergent and I found so many more resources, I was like, oh, I'm not like, there's nothing, it, it's not, I'm not wrong for having trouble doing eye contact. I'm not wrong for not understanding why people shake hands. I mean, especially in the pandemic, why are you shaking hands? Um, I'm not, like, it's not weird, you know? Like, everyone was like, oh, you're so weird, you're so weird. But, like, is it really that weird, like, that I, I have trouble with eye contact? So what? Who cares, right? It's yeah. like, it's really stuff yeah, like exactly. that who's like, okay, who cares that, like, I have trouble, like, focusing in class? I mean, I care because, like, it, it sucked for me. But, like, why does it bother other people? Because I, I wasn't bothering anyone. I was always very quiet. I mean, I did tap my leg a lot, but, you know, like I didn't just get up and like left or like cause trouble in the class. Like, so it doesn't really bother anyone. So I was like, why is it an issue? But it's like when you're different, sometimes people just kind of freak out. So I want to have a space where people can be themselves. They can show up as themselves and really just have a place where 
not only do they have access to a lot of resources that are kind of like outside of the mainstream type of what they offer, because right now in the medical system, they offer medication and CBT, which CBT is barbaric <laughs> in so many ways. I feel uh, yeah. like I feel like CBT is like, at least when it was suggested to me to try it was like, I, I feel like I'm trying you I feel like you're telling me to try to trick myself into thinking things are okay. Yep. But yeah. like, and I'm just like, I, because I'm aware I'm doing that, it fails because now I, I can't, yeah. I can't do that. Like I can't pretend or act or like change something and try to pretend that I'm fixing it just by doing the thing. It's just like this weird feedback loop where it's like, I'm too aware now that I'm trying to, yes, it, <laughs> it, it just doesn't get CBT to the root. Is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't. And what's more, it, when CBT, they do a lot of exposure therapy, which I've gone through it more than once because I've had phobias. Um, I have OCD and all sorts of amazing stuff. <laughs> so like, <Yeah. laughs> I, I would have to do all the, and like, essentially they're just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to put you with your trigger that you're fucking terrified of. And then I'm going to leave you there and your body will habituate. And eventually it'll stop making, like you'll stop being afraid. Let me tell you from having gone through that, like so many times, it does not work. I don't know who it works for, because for me, I was like, what? And they don't, they're not it's like re-traumatized. Yes, exactly. And they're like, oh, you need to, to let it habituate. You can't do any relaxation trick techniques. You can't do anything. You can't meditate. You can't whatever. I'm like, okay, so that's torture then. Like you're just wanting me yeah. to be tortured. And I was like, none of that works. And I tried my God, like I've tried all of this. And it's like, it really was just barbaric. And what has worked for me is just to find ways to live well. Like even just meditation. Meditation was torture for me until I realized that Meditation does not mean you need to stop thinking. It means you're focusing on one thing to calm your mind. Like you're focusing on your breathing or you're focusing on that sound or you're focusing on like, yeah, say you're watching a show, you're focusing on that one character or whatever. You're just putting your focus in one place. So your brain, instead of being chaotic, it's like really focused, right? And when I learned that, I was like, my God, I could have done that this entire time. But everyone was like, no, 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 you need to think about nothing. I'm sorry, but my brain cannot think about nothing. Because sometimes if I'm really like, you know like physically dead you know like my brain will think about nothing and I'm like my god I, I must be dead I must be dead because like what's happening and like I panic then because I'm like why if I if I think about nothing I'm panicking because I'm like no 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 I like focusing my thoughts on one thing to calm myself down that's amazing but it's like it's something I wish they would have told me at one point like yeah it's like that's meditation is not about like emptying your mind because that's almost impossible for most people right so it's really about finding all of those things um, that work because something like, I mean, for some people, meditation will just never work. And that's fine. Like it's about finding what works for you and what feels aligned because I'm really all about alignment, whatever like business I'm doing. And so it's really about building a community and doing a lot of games in it, a lot of activities, because what helped me a lot in my life was to gamify things, honestly, to make it like to have like a whole bingo of self-care. <laughs> like to like I love that yeah and like and stuff like that or like a book club you know like because sometimes like for me with ADHD it's hard to start something once I'm in something no problem but to start ugh, it, it can be hard to just take that one step but as a group it's easier because there are other people doing it for ADHD that's why that they call it body doubling right and 
it's like if someone else is studying beside you, you're way more likely to study and it kind of helps you take that first step. So that's why I want to create like a whole group where we can all take that first step together because it's hard to take that first step. But once we're in it, like we can go. It's just that first step. It's so hard. It's true for everything I do. Even if it's something I want, even if it's like a book that I want to write, that first line is the hardest. And when it's once it's done, then it's like, okay, just flows. But it's really to kind of, it's for also accountability and just for all of us to kind of share like, ways to be well and just kind of you know have fun with our self-care because for me like when I tried to do self-care in the way that other people do it it really didn't align like things like oh wash your face do this like do that I mean I hate washing my face my god it feels awful like I just hate it I mean I understand the purpose of it like for body maintenance but it's not self-care because I do not feel cared for when I do that. I feel like I'm just like putting stuff on my face that I like putting moisturizer. My God, sunscreen. Ugh, I need, I know I need to do it and it's important, but I hate it. And it's not self-care for me to do that. It's just self-maintenance, you know, and difference. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just like to put that difference because otherwise I felt like, oh my God, I'm failing at self-care. I'm failing. Yeah, but I'm not. Failing. It's just it's you just, have to find. Yeah, you have to find the self care that works exactly. for you, and that's very different for different people. Exactly. And yeah, so so unfortunately, I do have to wrap things up now. Um, I feel like we could talk probably forever. Yes, <laughs> but um, before you go, can you tell us where people could find you online if they want to like work with you or reach out, or um, if you have any like offers coming up or something you want to promote? So I will send you um the links for the two websites, the one for marketing and the one for neurodivergent wellness. So with um, both of them I have memberships I really love memberships because I love building communities um, so the neurodivergent wellness uh, community membership is pay what you can membership so it starts at five dollars and then you can pay more if you want but it's also to invite people who do not necessarily have the funds to pay for a full-blown membership but they still have access because I remember the time I needed the most help was when I was a student and a student does not have money I mean it's just like like it just you don't like you have loans you have like a bunch of things you do not have the money so I just I want to make sure I can cover my costs obviously but it's like it's really about making sure that people can pay what they can and if there's some members that you know they can't afford more then they can't pay more if they want to stay at five dollars honestly like I just want to build a community here and for my other membership with marketing it's really about becoming aligned with your marketing at an affordable price because a marketing strategist can cost a lot of money. Um, I do offer consultations and done for you work, but it's not for everyone, especially people who are try or just trying new things or they're just starting out. And so a membership can really help, you know, with finding ways to do, uh, I do like a lot of prompts every day. There's a new prompt to kind of go through. I do workshops, I do networking, co-working sessions where you can ask your questions about marketing. You know, you can post your marketing in the group so you can get feedback. So it's really about doing marketing like on your own terms and at your own pace for an affordable price. Because that's one thing that for me when I was starting out, I mean, even now, I mean, it's not, it's not like I'm rich or anything. So I really love memberships because it gives me access to resources without having to empty my bank account. Right. No, that's a great idea. So I'll put those links in the show notes for um the, for our listener. So I, I just want to say thank you so much for joining today. This has been a really juicy, awesome discussion. Um, and before you go, what advice can you give our listeners for living a wild, creative life? Create as much as you can, whenever you can, because that was one thing I didn't follow. Sometimes I would have this amazing idea or I would, I would want to be like, I want to write right now. I want to do this. But then I would be like, I have to do my homework. I have to do this. I, no, 
just write, get it out of your system and then do your thing. Because once I started doing that, it was so much easier for me to concentrate on my homework, on my normal work, whenever I was, it was working and it wasn't school anymore. Because if I don't put that creativity out, it's going to haunt me (laughs) and it's just going to haunt me. And like, I'm going to try to focus, but then I'm going to be thinking about something else. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, write that chapter, write that interaction, that dialogue, or just like paint that thing you want to be painting, just kind of like, get it out of your system. It's and it really makes it easier afterwards to do that thing that you didn't really want to do, but you had to do kind of just because you will be feeling so much more at peace. Because first of all, you've like emptied your mind, but also because you've been able to, you know, prioritize yourself, because at the end of the day, creativity is so fun it's so nice and it's a form of self-care and instead of doing the things that you should do and I like I really hate the shoulds but you know there are things we need to do like dishes (laughs) that no one wants to do but you do need to do so when you do have to do those things you know it's okay to you know just write or paint or do whatever you want to be doing just get that out and then do the the shoulds and then you're going to be so happy that it's going to be fine like for me when I had the space and the time to exercise my creativity and then I had to like do work or whatever I was always so happy doing it that it just kind of like flew by and it didn't become so much a should as it was before but when I would have to do like work or whatever when I really wanted to write then I would just end up resenting whatever I was doing and that's just that's just not fun yeah I totally get it. Well, thank you for that amazing advice. And thank you again so much for joining us today. Thank you. All right, that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope my conversation with Jade Francesca was insightful or enlightening for you in some way, or at the very least interesting to listen to. All the links she mentioned are in the show notes below. If you're enjoying the podcast overall, please do rate and review. And don't forget to subscribe, follow, share, all the things to help get it out there. I really do appreciate it. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas for future episodes, or if you want to be a guest on the podcast, please email me at emmakuvetna at gmail.com. Otherwise, until we meet again, stay wild, stay creative.